Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Daily Face-Off Show. Your everyday source for the latest news with top-notch insight and analysis. Live every weekday at noon Eastern. Welcome in to a November 26th edition of the Daily Face-Off Show. Tally Uramchuk in for Frank Saravalli. Rachel Dory riding shotgun today and a happy long American Thanksgiving weekend to all our viewers south of the border and everyone north of the border, Rachel. Hey, we just get hockey all day on a Friday. That's pretty good as well, hey? Yeah, I'll take that. You get football yesterday, you get hockey today. And I mean, most of the things in Canada, like, depend on the u.s economy and everything is closed so you might as well just take a long weekend and watch all that hockey exactly not us though because we're going to be hard at work for the next 23 minutes taking you around the nhl let's put two minutes and 30 seconds up on the clock and dig into some big stories here starting with well, a guy who's been lighting it up in my backyard here in Edmonton, Leon Dreisaitl, another two-goal performance the other night. He is now up to 20 goals on the season. It is absolutely insane, the run and the pace that Leon Dreisaitl is on. Since the lockout, only two players have gotten to the 60-goal mark in the NHL. It's Stamkos, who had 60. Ovechkin had 65 one year. The question here, I mean, Leon Dreisaitl said himself the other day, Rachel, he goes, I'm not scoring 82 goals this year like his pace would suggest. But is he good enough to get to 60, or do you think, well, no pun intended, we might get a dry spell here and he might come in below that mark? Yeah, I think it's interesting with dry Seidel. I think a lot of it depends on the Edmonton power play and how things go from there. I mean, the league already doesn't call enough penalties, but they'll probably be likely to call less given the proficiency of the Oilers' power play. I think that Dreisaitl likely falls between 55 and 60 this year, obviously pending health. Um, but for me, I just, I, it's really hard to get to 60 goals unless you are like, you look at Ovechkin and we're talking about the greatest goal scorer of all time. And he's only done it a yeah. couple times. And so for me, I look at it and I think Dreisaitl is probably closer to the 55 to 60 range as than he is to 65. Yeah, and, and I think I'm, I'm close to agreeing with you on that. I think he'll come in right around that 60 mark, whether it's, you know, 58 or just at 60, 61, 62 in that range. I mean, the pace thing with McDavid and Drysaddle is insane. I mean, through 10 games, it was wild. And now that we're at that 25% mark of the season, I'm starting to sit there and kind of go, 
okay, like how long can they keep this going? Because you're right. Eventually you would think that the power play is going to slow down a little or they're going to stop getting calls. Eventually they're going to go on a four or five game run where, you know, the offense just isn't there for those two. We've seen it, you know, sometimes in the past with them where they'll go on a five game run where each of them only gets two points or something like that. The thing with Drysdale as well, just you mentioned the power play goals. He's got 10 already on the season. In the 56-game season last year, he had 15, and the runners-up were Pavelski and Oshie with 13. So that production on the Oilers' power play has just been absolutely insane. Shooting percentage-wise, quickly, Rachel, he's shooting 29.9%. Usually that's like an outlandish number. Like that that has to come down. With Drysaddle, how much do you think that has to come down? I think it probably comes down to 18 or 19. Uh, that's where I have him. And I think that he probably finishes the season with 125 points. I don't think anybody gets anywhere close to 150. It'll be interesting to watch. And I mean, I think all hockey fans are kind of hoping that that duo can keep things rolling because it is a lot of fun to see the points they are putting up. Let's move out to the Eastern Conference where, you know, the American Thanksgiving mark is usually a, you know, bit of a measuring stick here for teams. At this point, you kind of know if you're in the playoff hunt, you have a chance. If you're not, then well. But Columbus and New Jersey are two teams that are off to just fantastic stars. The Blue Jackets are 11-6-0. The Devils 8-5-4 on the season. Uh, Money Puck, who I love taking a look at around this time of year, it has them both at around 35% in terms of their chances to make the playoffs. My question to you here, Rachel, which one of these two teams do you like more in terms of their chances to make the playoffs and is there one of them that you think could fall off pretty quickly here uh this might surprise some people uh given the background but i actually i like new jersey here um i think that they are a well-built team on the back end you look at the additions of ryan graves and dougie hamilton um and then you've got uh damon severson who is that he is reliable he's one of the best transition defenders in the entire nhl um, Siegenthaler has been half decent this year. Um, and so for me, like, I think that if Mackenzie Blackwood can, can stay healthy, which is key, um, and Jack Hughes comes back, I think if you look at how New Jersey's going right now, they've obviously cooled off a little bit, but they're also doing this without Jack Hughes. And that is yeah. huge because Jack Hughes is their best forward. And so you're looking, Sharon Govich is kind of uh, rebounding a little bit after a really tough start. Dawson Mercer looks absolutely fantastic, and, and nobody should be surprised to see that. So I think that with Jack Hughes coming back sort of in the first week of December, um, we could see the Devils kind of starting uh, to climb a bit. I think they're going to be in a real hard fight for the playoffs. Um, but I think I think it'll be right there. But I, do, I think Columbus falls off a little bit. Right now they're out working teams, and... They're playing in a lot of high-scoring games, and that usually doesn't bode well in the later parts of the season. Yeah, both of these teams have gotten some pretty good goaltending from their main guys. Merz Lickens has been pretty solid for Columbus, and Blackwood, when he's been playing, has been good for New Jersey. And, And the other thing there is, you mentioned only two games played so far this season for Jack Hughes. I wonder what this New Jersey start could could have looked like if Mackenzie Blackwood was kind of ready to go right from the start of the season as well. And that's another big reason why I think I'm going to agree with you and say that New Jersey probably has a better chance of sticking in the playoff hunt and potentially getting into uh, the big dance. But that's not to take anything away from the start of the season for the Columbus Blue Jackets. One team that is also looking to, you know, maybe get into the playoff hunt a little bit more is the Boston Bruins. They've played less games than I think anyone in the Eastern Conference. 
Rachel, this Bruins team and the way they're currently constructed, you know, still kind of relying, as you can see here on the graphic, on their big three, the perfection line, and also Charlie McAvoy. Does this group have enough to be a playoff team? Can they go on a bit of a run here? I never think it's smart to bet against Boston. <laughs> Um, they have one of the best lines, if not the best line in the entire NHL with the perfection line. Um, and they're performing, right? They're all pretty much, if not a point a game, just one underneath. And you look at Charlie McAvoy, he's really kind of announced himself as a premier defender uh, in the National Hockey League. I'm super high on McAvoy. I think him and Adam Fox are two best American defenders in the game right now and two of the very best in general. Um, and so for me, I look at the Atlantic division, you've got Florida, who is right now for me the best, you got Toronto, and then you've got Tampa Bay, who is, is going to come up. Uh, I don't yeah. think that anybody's going to doubt that. And then you've got Boston. And I think what we're probably going to see here is four teams from the Metro and four teams from the Atlantic, because the Bruins just play the right type of hockey later in the year. They know what wins, they know what they can and can't get away with. And that bodes well when you're trying to go on a playoff run to make the playoffs. And so um, I think that Boston will kind of sneak in in that wild card position. And I mean, that's not a team that I would want to see in the playoffs ever. Yeah, absolutely not. And you mentioned it. Like we, we talked about officiating a little bit with Drysaddle, a team like the Bruins that knows what where that line is, right? That's so important. And I mentioned they haven't played a ton of games, but between now and the end of December, they have 16 games. So a busy, busy schedule here for the Bruins, but five of those games coming against either the Sens, the Canucks, or the Habs. So 33% of their games in the next month and a bit here are coming against teams that they, they should be able to get wins against. So I really do think that by the time the calendar flips to 2022, we should have a pretty good idea of what this Bruins team is going to look like going forward and sort of where they'll slot in that playoff race. Yeah, like I would say that they're probably going to go five for five in those games, <laughs> maybe four for five at the least and right there you're winning 33 percent of your games even 30 percent of your games like that's a good clip to be on yeah. um and the way you have to make the playoffs is you have to be better than the teams below you so all they have to do is they've got to beat detroit that you got to win your games in hand and you've got to beat the teams that are below you and that's how they're going to get in yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's move on here to some, some vacancies around the NHL. And this is going to be a really interesting conversation here. But we see Florida, Chicago, Anaheim. They all had to make moves earlier this year and make some changes. But everyone in those slots you can see still have the interim tag. I know Anaheim's doing a little bit of a replacement by committee thing for right now. But Rachel, this might not be a coincidence that it's taking so long for all these teams to find new fits, right? Yeah, I think that if you look at that, so three of those vacancies are due to off-ice conduct, with the exception being Jeremy Culleton in Chicago. Um, and I think we're at a different point, and thank goodness that we're finally here, where you cannot just go and say, well, that guy's good at coaching or good at being a GM. We don't really care what he's like away from the rink. And uh, off we go. I think the reason we're seeing hirings taking so long is because there is a clear obligation to do your due diligence on the candidates. Gone are the days of just being able to hire someone off a of two days notice because people are going to look into those backgrounds and people are going to see if there are skeletons in the closet. And right now, given the 
microscope that the NHL is rightfully under for their conduct, um, there needs to be a serious look at whomever is being brought in and what they stand for and what they are and are not willing to accept. And I'm not saying that anybody who's done anything bad shouldn't be hired, but if someone's done something and they've shown some learning and it isn't something that rises to the level of what happened in Chicago, then okay. But you can't just be hiring left, right, and center and not doing your due diligence anymore because people are going to ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the term reckoning was used a, a month ago when everything was happening, but it does kind of show that from those moments, like what happened in Chicago, can maybe have some long-term good and teams are, you know, doing their due diligence, doing their background. And there's a part of me that also wonders if that's why maybe some changes are taking a little bit longer to happen. Wink looks at the camera, Vancouver, right? I mean, we're all kind of waiting for something to happen there as well. But I think that's an excellent point you made there. Rachel, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if one of those spots ends up getting filled or if these teams just sort of ride it out and wait until the offseason when, when things slow down a little bit. Uh, let's keep moving on, though, and get into another edition of the Number Crunch. All right, Rachel, we talked a little bit about the Florida Panthers in terms of their head coaching vacancy. Andrew Burnett has the interim tag there. They are off to a fantastic start, and a big reason why is the bounce back from Sergei Bobrovsky. Take us through sort of what the changes have been in Bobrovsky's game this season. He's one of those guys where there's no in-between. He's either a Vesna-caliber goalie in that he's won two Vesnas, or he's not an NHL goalie at all. Like, there's no in-between. You can't just be... He's never league average or anything like that. So we'll look at the last two seasons, and then we'll compare uh, to this season thus far, and then we'll look at his career. So his saves percentage the last two years combined was 902. That is... Ex that's bad. Like, we're talking, like, Koskinen-Smith bad. This season, it's a 940. That is a career high, and it's the highest in the NHL at, when I checked. His career save percentage is 917, so I'd expect him to regress probably a, to around, I would say he's probably going to have a career year, so maybe a 921. But then you look at his goal saved above average, which is basically how many goals are you saving or letting in versus what the average shot. So if you look at the last two years, he's let in almost 17 more goals than he should have. Whereas you look at just this season, in the first 20 games, he has saved 10 goals above what's expected, which is a 40-goal above expected pace that's never happened before. I don't expect it will. Um, I would expect him to probably sit around 12 by the end of the year. There's going to be a dry spell, and his career average is about plus 6 uh, for for per season so i would expect he'll, he'll kind of taper off of it you look at the high danger save percentage this is a big one so 816 on average uh the last two years in his career he's 843 this season he's a 910 and it's interesting to note that a, the nhl kind of average there is about in the 840s so he's well above that and I, that's a huge candidate for regression for me i think that when you're giving up high danger chances, those are you're bound to get unlucky at some point, and some stuff's gonna go in. Same with the quality starts, which is how often are you giving your team a chance to win? The last two years, less than half the games, not good enough. Career, he's close to sixty percent. That is approaching really good. 
Right now, he's at 83%. That is absolutely not sustainable. I would expect that to come down closer to about 65%. So I think he's kind of due for a little bit of regression because every single number this year is a career high. And it's just not... It's not sustainable to think that he's going to have this kind of year the entire year. There's going to be dry spells. There are going to be cooling off periods. I still think he's going to have an absolutely fantastic year. Yeah, so that was actually going to be my next question there. I mean, this, what he's at right now in that this season column, that's clearly not sustainable. It's going to come down a little bit. But when it does, is this still a guy who you think will be in the conversation for the Vesna Trophy by the end of the season? It's an interesting question because he's so wildly inconsistent that people, the problem we have is, first of all, the general managers vote on it. And as someone who's worked behind the scenes, it's a bit of a popularity contest. Um, and so I think that not only that, then you've got the short-term memory. So if he doesn't finish the season strong, he will not get there. But I do think if he just continues to play, let's say career average the rest of the season, I think he'll be in the conversation. I don't know if he'll be nominated because you look at um, John Gibson, absolutely fantastic. Jacob Markstrom, ridiculous. Uh, Jack Campbell is going to be in that conversation. And I think Igor Shashorkin will also be in that conversation. So you're looking at about five that are having really, really good seasons. And it's a matter of who stays hot at the end and where the popularity contest goes. Who do the GMs want to win the Vesna? Yeah, you need a certain amount of clout to win to win the awards that are voted on like that. We actually talked about that last week with our goaltending expert, Mike McKenna, and it'll be interesting to see if Bobrovsky can keep riding this wave. For the Panthers, I mean, this guy's got four more years at $10 million a season, but the good news is if Bobrovsky does slip off at all, they do have Spencer Knight backing him up as well, and, he, and he's off to a decent start as well and is definitely their goalie of the future. Uh, Rachel, it's always an education in the number crunch. Thanks for doing that. All right, this is a very interesting inbox question that we have. I'm an absolute jersey nerd. I love them. We were talking about third jerseys last week on the show, but we're starting to get a look at what some countries will be rocking on the ice at the Olympics coming up. And our inbox question, out of the ones we've seen, what are the best and worst Olympic jerseys so far in your eyes, Rachel? I think the best one's got to be Finland. I mean, they stuck to what they were. And if you look at it, like the... The lion, like the crest, is very prominent. They're blue and white. Finland is blue and white. There's no need to mess with what works. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. And those jerseys are clean. I'm not even close to being finished. And I would purchase one of those because they are that <laughs> nice. Yeah, they are beautiful. And the worst ones in your eyes? Oh, okay. The American jerseys, like... They're bad. I don't love the Canadian jerseys, but wh what are we doing here? Like, this is... The white one is acceptable, but why do we have, like, three different shades of blue on the jersey? Why is that necessary? Why is there no red on that one jersey? Like, your national colors are red, white, and blue. I just think, like, my opinion on jerseys in general is don't mess with what works. If there are players on the team that people like, i.e., Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid for Canada. Like, they're going to buy the jerseys. You don't need to have a new one every Olympic cycle. That looks terrible. Like, that one on the right-hand side there. What, who allowed that? I, it's I a need practice to know. jersey. 
yeah, that's it's, a good point. Uh, it, it, yeah. <laughs> that's 100% what it looks like. Yeah, the three shades of blue, very confusing. Uh, for me, my favorite, I love that you went with Finland because I think those are beautiful as well. Um, but I'm actually going to go with the white jersey for Canada. I'm going to be very specific in saying the white one <laughs> only is the one I like because that's the one that looks like a classic Canadian hockey sweater. The other ones, I mean, the neon Tron looking all black thing. That one and the other one for Canada, those are going to get my least favorites because, again, you talked about reinventing the wheel. Canada, the flag is red and white. Don't mess with that. Just stick with that. Like, even the black on the pants and gloves of the white one is okay with me. But when you start trying to do this all black look, or even on the red one, I think we'll both agree on this, if you would have just made that red and white, that would have been a really, really nice jersey. But again, they try to, like, you know, focus group it and get into all of these things. And it just ends up looking like this, which is just so blah. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that one. I The white one is definitely the best of the lot. Um, the red one would have been stomachable if it was red and white and not red and black. Because I, we don't have black in the flag, so I don't know what we're doing there. But, like, I take away from this, and it does look the best on the white jersey. Why does it look like a clip art leaf? <laughs> like why 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 can't we just have a leaf <laughs> we uh we okay we have a little bit of extra time so i want to float to this one i'm putting you on the spot what's your all-time favorite olympic jersey for me i loved what canada wore at the 2010 olympics in vancouver i thought those were really really sharp and i mean it's paired in my head with the memory of them winning gold so that probably helps as well but for you is there an all-time favorite that stands out um there's a couple that come to mind. I will agree that that Vancouver jersey was phenomenal. It was excellent. I like the World Junior jersey. Like, that World Junior black jersey is acceptable. It's about the only acceptable black jersey. But the one that's red that has Canada kind of written like the New York Rangers type situation, mm -hmm. I thought was super nice. I will say, though, my favorite Olympic jerseys have to be the Russian red jerseys. Those things okay. are absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, those are, those are pretty sweet as well. All right, let's uh, move away I from the inbox question. I probably just like handed my passport for that. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're not allowed out of the country now, by the way. Uh, let's dig into our daily best bet segment. It's brought to you by our friends over at PointsBet. It is a full day of hockey that gets going in like just under an hour here with the Rangers taking on the Bruins. But let's jump into the matchups and see what PointsBet has going on. I got a couple of plays here that I do like starting as you can see there, Blues in Chicago to take on the Blackhawks. And I'm a little bit that this little bit surprised that this line is as small as it is. Minus 145 for the Blues is going to be my play here. Straight up money line. I'm not getting cute and going with the puck line or regulation to get a better payout. Straight up. I think the Blues are the better team here. If they end up going with Jordan Bennington between the pipes, I love this play even more. The Hawks have been better since their coaching change. But they've had a couple of losses in their last three games where they've given up five goals. So I, I think things might be starting to change a little bit. And the Hawks might be starting to look like they did earlier in the season. So I like the Blues, who haven't been great as of late. Three, six, and one in their last ten, I believe. I like them to bounce back here, though, with a win in Chicago. And my second play tonight is Tampa Bay taking on Seattle. And in this one, I am getting a little cute. I'm taking the Lightning in regulation. It's minus 115. The Lightning are 6-3-2 at home, and they are red hot as of late, 7-3-1 in their last 10. Seattle, on the other hand, 
they're bad on the road. They're one, six and one away from Seattle so far this season. They're coming off back-to-back wins. That franchise has never had three wins in a row. And I don't think they're going to pick one up here. I think Tampa Bay rolls over Seattle and takes this one in regulation. So just two plays for a busy night in the NHL, courtesy of our friends over at PointsBet. And now to wrap up the show, Rachel, we're going to do a little bit of garbage time. What do you got for us? Can we talk about officiating, please? And also, Absolutely. on your, can I piggyback on your best bets? Like, yeah. Why oh, don't yeah. we parlay St. Louis and Tampa to win? I like Ooh. both of those picks. <laughs> Getting I'm greedy. On side with you on that. One. <laughs> I like it. But yeah, right, well, like, if you we like Rachel's advice, you want to get greedy, yeah. <laughs> we we got to talk about officiating. This is it's so ridiculous. Like, I I can't take it anymore. I can't do it. Yeah, um, I'm with you. Like the it's. For me, the frustrating part, and again, being in the Edmonton media, we've been talking about this for Connor McDavid's entire career. It's the fact that they're usually pandering to lower skilled players, you know, like take the big slow defenseman and say, well, your job's hard shutting down McDavid. We'll make it easy on you and allow you to bend the rules a little bit. But that's the frustrating part for me, uh, for you. Yeah, I look at it and the NFL is the most popular sport in North American pro sports, most popular league. And one of the things that they do exceptionally well is they protect the quarterbacks and they protect the wide receivers, the stars. That's that's what they do. I don't like that every time someone breathes on Tom Brady that they get a penalty for it. But at the same time, I like that Tom Brady and Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson and whomever else, I like that they're allowed to do their thing. And they don't have to worry about pandering to the guys that aren't as good or not as entertaining who makes the money in the nhl who brings in the marketing it's mcdavid Dreisaitl, matthews martyr mckinnon crosby ovechkin like kucherov point all those guys we would do well not to give them special treatment but what we're doing right now is we're giving the bad players special treatment because we're saying well you're not as good so we're not gonna quite call as many penalties on you which is giving them special treatment how about you just call it even, and if you don't like taking penalties, then here's an idea. Stop cheating. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's going to disagree with you on that. No one wants special treatment. Everyone just wants the rule book called, whether it's Game 1, Game 82, or Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Rachel, it was an absolute pleasure doing the show with you today. Thanks for stepping in and filling in to everyone who tuned in. Enjoy your weekend and enjoy a full day of NHL hockey. As always, keep it locked on Daily Faceoff for all the latest. This has been the November 26th edition of the Daily Faceoff Show. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for watching the Daily Faceoff Show. Make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel to never miss an episode. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.